Thank you, Raul. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Ruth, and I am equally glad to be here, to be out of the house. We had a two-and-a-half-year-old grandson with us for four days this, uh, this week, and so we were cheering with parents everywhere when the schools <laughs> opened on Friday. I'm guessing those of you who have a couple of kids at home got a close-up on sibling relationships. I was gathered a couple of weeks ago with some friends who were in their 50s, 60s, and beyond, and we were talking about sibling relationships because we had seen a study that talked about health and well-being being tied to good relationships with our siblings as we age. And I don't think there was one single person in that circle who didn't have at least one kind of complicated or even estranged relationship with a sibling. So it was kind of disturbing to hear that our health and life satisfaction might be tied to how we feel about our brothers and sisters. Last week, chapter 14 in Romans, Pastor Richard spoke to the whole of the Bethany community Uh, church about sibling relationships in the church. So the good news is that even if you're an only child by birth, you too have complicated sibling relationships. (laughs) For this family, the family of faith is who Jesus said is to be our primary family. He said that those who hear the word of God and do it are his family of choice. The family of faith has always been God's chosen uh, demonstration, supposed to be God's chosen demonstration of harmony, the hope of harmony, to a world that has never found answers to what divides them. We were supposed to be the first demonstration of the uniting power of Jesus Christ to a world where national and tribal boundaries are always in dispute where power is often used to dominate and to crush the weak, where wealth is stockpiled for selfish ends, where political, ethnic, and gender divides keep us stuck. I'm wondering how many of you actually got to hear either live or by podcast what Pastor Richard taught. I just see a show of hands. Quite a few of you. Good. Well, I'm going to really encourage you, those of you who missed it, to go back and listen to it. Because chapter 14 is the pivotal chapter in Romans about why Paul wrote this letter and about the work that God has given us us to do. And I believe um, that accepting and loving everyone whom God accepts and loves is our great work. For God's plan and the hope of the world, according to Ephesians 1.10, is that we be united, that all things in creation be united under Christ. It's our work with God's help to be a demonstration of this story of hope. So the big idea from our text today is that God is writing a story of hope through the church where the strong are to build up the weak, the scriptures are to bring encouragement and endurance, and where with one mind and one voice God's name is praised. Let's pray together. Father, as we open scripture, we are dependent on your spirit to bring light. Give us open hearts, Father, for light and for life and for water and for milk and for meat that we need to sustain us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
Hope is mentioned three times in this chapter, and that's why I chose to focus on that word uh, in these, the, the, talking about these first 13 verses in chapter 15. But we really need to first rescue that word, hope. Because biblical hope is not the kind of hope that we talk about when we say, I hope the schools open, or maybe some of the students, I hope the schools stay closed. Um, that's you know, how we use it in our ordinary vernacular is kind of like a wish. That is not the Hebrew word for hope. The Hebrew word for hope is tikva, and it literally means a cord, like a strong rope. It's also sometimes uh, translated in, into the English words confident expectation. And that, that idea of a cord may sound really strange to you, but it actually comes from a story in Joshua 2 Uh, where there's this Gentile woman, Rahab, who is a woman of faith in Jericho. She shows amazing courage and radical faith in this God who she knows just a tiny bit about. She's heard about the Hebrew slaves and how Yahweh freed them from Egypt and how they are on the way uh, to the promised land and Jericho is right in their path. So on the basis of the little she knows of Yahweh, she speaks of him as the creator of all the world, and she chooses to hide the Hebrew spies who come to her city before they attack it. She helps them escape by hanging a scarlet cord out of her window and down the wall of the city. The spies climb out to their safety. They cross the river and they begin their plan of attack. But she has secured from them a promise of mercy. The spies promised mercy to everyone who would be in Rahab's home if, when they attacked the city, she would tie that scarlet cord to the window. Everyone there would be covered with mercy and safety during the attack. The word for that cord is tikva. Hope or confident expectation. That cord was not a flimsy wish, but Rahab's confident expectation of mercy. That cord actually held the weight of the lives of the spies. That scarlet cord held the weight of the lives in her home when the attack came. We, too, have a strong rope on which our lives depend. Jesus, our tikva, our hope, is that scarlet cord, that strong rope of mercy that connects us literally to the life of our creator and to his mercy. So each time we read hope in the Bible, I want you to picture that strong cord and also the words confident expectation. So let's look at what it means to build hope, to build tikva by helping others. Verse 1 and 2 says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Bear with the failings of the weak. Now that does not mean we put up with That does not mean we just endure the weaknesses of others. I want you to think about, there's a sort of an iconic picture, and in the first service this morning, there was a little girl sitting in the front row with her little brother on on her lap, and he was about two-thirds of her size. (laughs) She was holding her little brother. And that's the iconic picture 
that probably many of you have seen of a little girl carrying her baby brother that inspired the song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Remember that good oldie by the Hollies? That's the picture of bearing, of bearing the weak, of carrying, lifting, helping that Paul is calling us to. It also talks in this verse about pleasing our neighbor, and that is not about flattering people. It's not as I think I was taught early on of doing what makes everybody happy. This is certainly not a call to the current mode of people pleasing. In fact, pleasing our neighbor is a courageous posture of doing what's in our neighbor's best interest for their development. In the Passion Translation, it said, empowering others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. In chapter 14, Paul was speaking specifically these words between the strong and the weak within the community of faith. Uh, But here in chapter 15, he says, this attitude, this behavior of carrying and supporting includes our neighbors. The message says it even more clearly, strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Strength is for serving. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask them to bring the lights up a little bit at this point, because I think we have a little bit of an experience trust, a brain trust out here. You guys, I know your, some of your lives. I know the ways that you use your strength to lift and carry others. And I want us to just think about how the gifts of strength God has given you, and every strength you have is a gift from God to you to be used through you for others. Every gift you have is a gift to you to be used through you for others. So let's talk about a few of them and how we might as a community build up uh, the weak here in North King and South Snohomish County. So first, financial strength. I'm going to ask for three answers on each of these strengths. So three answers on ways that we can use financial strength for others. I'm really comfortable with quiet. (laughs) Pardon? For the poor. poor. So giving is one way to use financial strength. What's another way? Supporting your family. family. Absolutely. And there was one over here I missed. Job opportunities, providing for others can be one. Another one I heard this morning was that we can teach others how to be effective with their finances. If you are wise and careful and know how to handle finances, it's a wonderful thing to share that knowledge with others. What about physical strength? How could we use physical strength? Shoveling driveways. Thank you to some neighbors who had shovels this week. Physical strength. Building houses, building homes for people. 
Raul, what do you do every Sunday? Set up the church church and tear down the church. (laughs) I was going to say, I I think that schlepping is a major uh, ministry in the church, schlepping. I would say I have spent the majority of my ministry life setting up and tearing down chairs. And I'm really surprised that when you interview for a job in the church, they don't time you and see if you can do it. Because it really is what you spend the majority of your time doing is physical labor. What about spiritual strength? If you have spiritual strength, how might you use that to lift up others? Encouragement. Encouragement. Thank you, Jay. Yes, giving courage to, giving heart to people who are in need of it. What's another one? Praying for others. Thank you. Yes, one more. Teaching and mentoring. mentoring. Both of those are awesome. Thank you. Yes. The spiritually strong who experience great liberty in Christ also can patiently embrace those who are in need of spiritual maturity. What about relationally blessed? Many of you are rich in relationships. How can that be a strength you can share? Inclusivity, inviting others in. Hospitality, connecting people. I love that. Connectors are an amazing gift. People who can bring the gifts of certain people to the problems of other places and who connect people to other people uh, that, that, that provide just a great richness in our community. What about the intellectually strong? Sharing knowledge. Sharing knowledge. Teaching. What else? Leadership. Leadership. Opening conversation, thank you. I just think about the need for problem solvers in our world. I don't know if you've had a chance to visit the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It was so inspiring to see all of the the things that have been answered and innovated and created that are helping and building up the poorest and the least among us. What about social and cultural power? How can that be used for others? Reconciliation, races. Raising awareness. Raising awareness, thank you. Mediation. Mediation, thank you. You guys are a great font of information. (laughs) You know, I don't think I considered uh, myself to have social or cultural power till just a couple of years ago when I began to really listen to the stories of my brothers and sisters of color and realized my life has been very, very different than theirs. Because in our culture, people have been given value based on their color. So how can I use that cultural power, as Paul says, to build up others? One simple change that I have made is simply in the voices that I listen to, the preachers, the writers, Um, As I reflected, I realized that 99% of my theological education has been from white men, good white men, great white men thinking theologians. But I had a very narrow perspective as a result of not hearing 
from the brothers and sisters around the world who have a deep and wide experience with Jesus Christ. And that just that uh, simple change for me of listening to other voices has really enriched my life. Wherever you have a choice, you have power. Wherever you have a choice, you have power. Use it wisely. How might God be calling you to throw your strength into supporting and bearing with the weak? Jesus in verse 3 is our example as he waded into unjust suffering. Psalm 69 is all about the experience of someone receiving what they don't deserve. Jesus took that experience of unjust suffering and he built hope in the world by taking on the troubles of the troubled. Fred Rogers said that when he was a boy and he would be afraid because of things that happened that he read in the news, his mother would say, look for the helpers. There are always helpers. And I've noticed that hopelessness and despair are not the characteristic of helpers. It's the helpers who build help who find hope. Rick Reynolds has spent 25 years as a pastor on the streets of Seattle to the homeless through Operation Night Watch, and Rick is not hopeless about homelessness. Rick is making friends and then helping his friends move towards housing, treatment, and employment. Bill and Melinda Gates aren't hopeless about world health and poverty. Sponsors who work with others in AA and Al-Anon aren't hopeless about alcoholism and addiction. In fact, we find hope in the helping. Bill Wilson, who founded AA in 1935, talked about the period of time when he was newly sober, when he first quit drinking. He says he was plagued with waves of self-pity and resentment, things that almost drove him back to drinking. He said the only thing... The only thing that worked to lift him from despair was to go and help another alcoholic. We often think we're going to feel more hopeful when we experience the love and compassion and care from others that we want. But I have seen that it is more often true that my hope grows when I extend love, compassion, and care to others. I I was thinking about this this week. Spring break is happening, and I don't know about you, but I go into great self-pity when I see that basically the whole city is going to Hawaii except for me, (laughs) and that's one way to go into spring break week. Uh, But then a friend mentioned that her concern over spring break was, what's going to happen to all the kids who rely on school lunch for food? Who's taking care of those kids? That was a shift for me from self-pity to thinking about how I might serve and be of help to others. The community of faith has always been intended by God to be the place that hope is built by the strong through the weak, by the strong helping the weak. Jesus is both our model and our motivator to embrace suffering with others so that we become hope builders. A second source of hope that Paul says is is available in verse 4 For all these words which were written long ago are meant to teach us today that when we read in the scriptures of the endurance of men and women and of all the help that God gave them in those days, we may be encouraged to go on hoping in our own time. 
we have this. I don't know about you. Do do any of you anymore have a a literal Bible, a tactile Bible? I just want to make a little plea for them. I I actually got this new version, the, the Passion Translation that a friend gave me for Christmas, and I am so encouraged by the way a f- some fresh words the Spirit has used for some fresh movement in me. Uh, but I find I need a Bible where I can underline and I can put big question marks and I can retort to Paul some of the things he says and some of my questions for him and ideas and disagreements with Paul. Um, I hope you have a, a Bible that is... Um, that is a friend to you. I I was looking through my different versions and I came up with this one, which was my great friend in my teens and 20s, The Way, The Living Bible. And I love looking back through it. I have poetry and quotes and underlines and the things that were so meaningful to 19-year-old Ruth Letts in 1973. Um, These become uh, very, very precious. The Word of God is meant for our encouragement. But John 5.39 reminds us that it's not the scriptures themselves that give us life, but it's Jesus who's to be found on every page. Jesus says that all the scriptures point to him. And that's a puzzle that's more intriguing than anything Jim Short has written or created. It's a puzzle to daily be reading sections and trying to see where is Jesus here. Eugene Peterson says this about our relationship with the scripture. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing, evangelism, justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. So how are you metabolizing the life of Jesus? How are you taking in spiritual nourishment from the scriptures so that his life is formed in you? If you don't know where to turn, I'm glad you asked. We have two places you can sign up today to get involved in. Uh, For me, what is kind of like my workout routine requires other people to support me. My spiritual workout routine also requires other people to support me. And we're starting a nine-week Bible study for women in Ecclesiastes. There's one option Wednesday mornings, one Wednesday nights. You can sign up outside. And then there's four and 40 groups starting during the four weeks of Lent. Maybe for some reason you can't commit to a longer ongoing group, four and 40 You meet four times with a group of people sharing life and the scripture together. You have a chance to sign up for that. We're looking for more hosts. In 2008, my husband made what was, for both of us, a really terrifying decision to change his employer after 25 years. And a friend of mine had taught me the importance of written encouragement. I don't know if you have... Very many people who write you notes, but she used to write me notes, and I found that someone speaking truth to me, written, I could reread it, I could um, continually be encouraged by it. She would write things that were true about God and true about me, and I found those truths to be um, something that really carried me and lifted me in some hard times. So I wrote him a card of encouragement, 
reminding him about the truth about who he was, the value he brought to his clients, and the truth about God's faithfulness to us over many years of his employment. Well, this is the, uh, like, I think it's the month, actually, of his 10-year employment, and he said to me, I still have that card on my desk 10 years later. You got to celebrate those marriage home runs. <laughs> Not always a lot of them, but once in a while you do it right. That card is still on his desk. Your creator has written cards and letters of encouragement to you to cheer you on. It's right here. But if you don't read them, you won't find that strength and encouragement. And do find a version that speaks to you. Hope grows through hearing. Finally, hope grows through harmony. Verse 5 and 6 from the message says this. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. A choir. Not only of our voices in worship on Sunday, but our very lives. Altos and sopranos, basses and tenors, each of them with their eyes focused on the director. A gorgeous harmony. The Spirit brings unity and harmony. And in chapter 14, verse 19, Paul makes it our top priority when he writes, we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. I had the opportunity for 20 years to study in a Bible study with about 200 other women from 40 different churches. Talk about an opportunity for division. (laughs) What passage in the Bible would we not disagree about? Catholics and Quakers, Episcopalians and Presbyterians and Charismatics and Lutherans. But I have to say that I experienced greater harmony there than in many of the churches I've attended over the years. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we focused on Jesus Christ. If Jesus is at the center of our fellowship, wherever we are in our movement towards Jesus... As we move closer to Christ, we will move closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We kept our focus on Christ. We talked not about the abstractions of theology, but what did the scripture mean in my life and in my relationships and in my work and in my money and in my time? Is your life focused on Christ? Or is it focused on an issue or a personality or an agenda? Hope will grow as our community develops one mind, not uniformity, but harmony. One heart, one mouth in corporate worship, as Paul writes in verse 6. A stunning anthem to God. Hebrews 10.25 could well have been written to 21st century Seattle This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. This is the time we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage 
and urge each other onward. This is the hope Jesus brings to us and our world, accepting those whom Christ has accepted, fellowshipping and worshiping with those we disagree with. The rest of the chapter from verses 8 through 12, Paul quotes four times from the Hebrew scripture. And he's quoting all three sections. There are three sections to Hebrew scripture, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And he takes a quote from each one of them to prove that this work of bringing people together isn't just a newfangled first century idea, but it was part of God's plan from the beginner, from the beginning. Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. He quotes from the law, he quotes from the prophets, and he quotes from the writings. Outsiders and insiders rejoice together. Hope truly grows from harmony. I was looking at my notes and realized I completely missed. (laughs) At the beginning, I was going to give you a little primer on chapter 14, the cliff notes of what Richard had to say. But I think I'm just going to let you go back and listen to his sermon, which would be even better than my cliff notes. So if you're having any trouble understanding the ideas of the weak and the strong, go back and hear what what he had to say. It was very helpful. It's not talking about moral weakness. It's talking about those with a more sensitive conscience towards issues, those who feel more freedom in Christ in behaviors that we call disputable matters. And if you think about... Um, the church over the years, in my lifetime, we've argued about bowling, music, movies, hair, clothing, baptism, communion, and I could go on and on. So there have, there will, there have been, there were in the first century disputable matters. There will always be disputable matters. And that chapter is a really important something for you to hear. And I guess there was a reason I didn't do the whole summary. So... We're just going to conclude with that. Hope grows. Hope grows from our helping others. Hope grows as we hear and ingest scripture, and hope grows from harmony. So I wonder this morning if you have a firm grip, if you have a firm grip on that scarlet cord of hope. Your connection with God is the cord of hope. As the worship team comes back up this morning, I want you to just take a few moments and consider here where the Spirit might be calling you to be a grower of hope. Is the Spirit calling on your strengths, convicting you even now of strengths you have that could bear and carry and lift the weak? Maybe the Spirit's encouraging you that you haven't opened these cards and letters for a while that you're to metabolize the life of Christ so that Christ's life will be formed in you. You're frustrated because you're not seeing the formation of Christ's life in you. You have to ingest it. Maybe you are to endure hardship and suffering right now, but also to take on the troubles of the troubled so that you can be encouraged. Or maybe you are sensing that your challenge is to accept those whom Christ has accepted, but with whom you disagree. I hope you will listen to that sermon on chapter 14 and respond. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to the way your spirit would minister to each one of us. Father, we are longing for hope in our world, and our world is longing for hope and looking to us 
Father, may we be a community filled with the hope of the unity of Jesus Christ. Amen.